0: Well, I don't know if you missed me, but I've missed you all, <laughs> and I'm so glad to be able to be back here with you and to uh, uh, be part of uh, the life of the church and to be part of the ministry here at uh, Grace Baptist Church. I was reminded of a story recently that in the heat of battle, a U.S. Marine officer saw that he and his men were completely surrounded, they were completely surrounded by the enemy. What are you going to say, you know? So he turns to his men. And he looks at them and he says, men, we are surrounded by the enemy. Don't let a single one of them get away. <laughs> you know, now that is some kind of optimistic military officer. You know, he, he shows us one way to deal with overwhelming opposition uh, to completing the mission that was assigned to him. And what does that have to do with Christians? What does it have to do with believers? Well, very simple. You know, after we come to the point where we repent of our sins and we we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we enter into this new relationship with God and we enter into this new life. But, you know, as opposed to common belief, once we become Christians, not everything is easy or carefree. You know, some people even tell me it got worse. When I was a when I was not a believer, I didn't feel anywhere near the heartaches and and uh, headaches that I have now as a believer. But now that I've accepted Jesus Christ and I want to follow God and I want to do God's will, somehow, some way, life has gotten a lot more difficult. And so it's easy; it's plain for us to see that we must remember. That when we become God's people, doing God's work, doing God's will, that we will attract opposition and will encounter obstacles. The opposition will attack us on many, many different ways and from many different directions. Using the ways of the world, using the desires of the flesh and even the schemes of Satan. And they will all come at us from different angles and in different ways. The Bible talks to us about this and it reminds us, for example, in John chapter 16, verse 33. Our Lord said himself, in the world you have tribulation, he says. And then the Apostle Paul said this to believers. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus in Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. And then later in, chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so you begin to see this pattern developing. The Bible re- reveals to us very clearly that we will have a difficult time as believers in Christ. So make no mistake. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and your heart desires to do God's work and God's will, there will be difficulties along the way. All right? And so that's why books like Nehemiah are such an encouragement to us. Because clearly God wants us to know how to handle these kinds of attacks and he wants us to be able to have victory over them. And so we're going to return back to our study in the series of the book of Nehemiah. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. And to just sort of help us get reoriented, because we've been away a while, is that in the first three chapters, Nehemiah was on a streak of successes to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what kind of successes did he have? Well, for example, he went to the king, and he was granted permission to return to Jerusalem to help his people, the Jewish people. And that was... Kind of like a a mighty challenge because he, as a cupbearer of the king, he couldn't just, you know, take off. He had to uh, ask permission from the king and the king gave it to him. He was granted government resources, authority and protection along the way. Can you imagine that? You make a request of the king and the king says, not only will I let you go, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you all the things that you need to succeed. Wonderful, wonderful. And then he was well. Re- when he got there, he was well-received by his countrymen in Jerusalem. And that had to be a real plus for him. That had to be a real plus. Because how would they receive him? I mean, in the whole scheme of things, who was Nehemiah? You know, all of a sudden this guy rides into town. And then he stands before the people and he says, we're going to rebuild the walls. He said, well, why should I listen to you? <laughs> who are you? You know? God gave him that favor with the people and he was able to rally them and pull them together and start the rebuilding. But now arises a crisis. The clouds of opposition were gathering and threatening the rebuilding of the wall. You know, you would say, why didn't God just make everything smooth? Why didn't he just, you know, go, go together, you know, and, and everything just happens the way it's supposed to. Because God has something to share with all of us. And that is that there can be, there will be points of opposition when we do God's will. God may have called you, maybe not to do something so grand and public as rebuilding the walls of a great city or, uh, you know, start a great movement for God. But perhaps he has called you to a more personal and private ministry. Maybe it's to rebuild the spiritual walls of prayer and purity and passion for God in your own life or in the life of someone you know. Maybe in the very life of this church, God is putting his hand upon you and he's calling out to you. And he's saying, you know, people in this church, you know that this church needs a revival. You know that there are people who are out of fellowship with the Lord. Why don't you go to these people and help them rebuild the walls for the Lord? You see, and so sometimes it's public, sometimes it's private. No matter what assignment we are called by God to do, we can expect opposition. When it comes to opposition against what God wants done, it is not a matter of if there will be opposition, but only a matter of when there will be opposition. And so get that into your mind. Please, get that into your mind. Things won't always go so smoothly, and we must be ready. We must be uh, ready to overcome uh, these things. So... That brings us up to date now, and now we move into the book of Nehemiah. And there is so much here to talk about and to to examine and to explore and to discover. But we have limited time, so let me just share with you three kinds of opposition that come at God's people as they do, try to do God's will. And one of the tactics that is commonly used is mockery. Mockery. This is found in verses 1 to 6. And the enemy seeks to ridicule and belittle the people of God. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced this, you know. I mean, uh, my encounters with Singaporeans, generally speaking, they're, <laughs> they're perfectionists and they do everything very well, okay? But what happens is that, you know, there's sometimes people get into this habit and they'll try to ridicule or mock people. And that's exactly what happened here. The mockery didn't start just when they started rebuilding the wall. It was signaled to them way back in chapter 2 when Sambalot uh, mocked the efforts to rebuild the walls. But it got more intense as time got on. And it's clear that the opposition, what they had in mind, was their thoughts and acts were clearly intended to keep God's people from doing God's good work. Okay, it was not a matter of a disagreement of what kind of bricks do we use, (laughs) Uh, you know, or how can we, you know, why don't you put the wall over here instead of over there? It wasn't that kind of stuff. Okay, it was bold face opposition. No wall, no wall. We do not want the Jewish people to rise up and be a people again. And so this is how they conceived uh, or perceived the work of the wall to be. And they were dead set against it. But the work continued, uh, leading to more anger and mocking. Look at verses, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verses 1 to 3. Now it came about that when Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. He says, notice here, the ridicule, the ridicule and the mocking. They mocked the workers. They mocked the Jewish people. These feeble people. These people are so weak and they are so miserable. They cannot do it. And then he mocks the work. He says, it's a lost cause. They won't be able to finish it in verse 2. And then he says, the materials that they're using. You know, the Jewish people had to go to the rubbish heap, the garbage dump to recycle stones. And these stones were the softer stones. These were not the high-quality stones. These were the the things that had been burnt or destroyed or damaged. And they were taking these stones and they were using them to rebuild the wall. And so they laughed at them. In fact, in verse 3, they mocked the finished product. They said, look, look, even when they build this wall, it won't be much of a wall at all. And a fox, a small animal, could jump on this wall and it'll fall down. You see? And so on every quarter, they ridiculed and mocked the Jewish people. Now, ridicule and mockery should not be overlooked. You know, many of us, you know, here, you're very mature and you would say to yourself, ah, it's just mockery. You know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You know, we have that attitude. But, you know, mockery can take a toll after a while. And listen to this. Uh, Thomas Carlyle, he's a British author and critic. This is what he called ridicule, the language of the devil. The language of the devil. Ridicule. In fact, Warren Wiersbe points this out. He says, some who can stand bravely when they are shot at will collapse when they are laughed at. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? Now, think back when you were trying to do something. you were very serious. You were very passionate about doing whatever it was you were getting ready to do. And someone comes up to you and says some kind of remark, sort of like, do you really think your work is that important? You know, what difference is it really going to make? You know, or they they, they just sort of belittle you and they sort of question you and a waste of money, a waste of time, a waste of effort. And they ridicule you and your work. How do you feel? On the inside. How do you feel? You don't feel good. And it sits with you. And it sits. And it boils. And it gets harder and harder. Until it can turn into bitterness. And it can cause you to walk away. So, please. Don't take ridicule lightly. Alright? It can turn into something serious. Well, what was the response to this? How did they respond? Look at verses 4 and 5. See Nehemiah leads the people in prayer and he says, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. Now, you say, Nehemiah prayed. Isn't that what believers are supposed to do? Whenever they encounter any kind of hardship, what is the first thing the believers are supposed to do? They're supposed to get on their knees, right? They're supposed to pray. That's the accepted thing. His action was not so unexpected, but his prayer was. Did you look at what he said in his prayer? Those are pretty harsh. (laughs) That was pretty harsh. I mean, what would our prayer request be? Oh, Lord, love them. Give me love in my heart for them. What the world need now is love, sweet love, you know, and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and all this. No, no, he calls down what? He says, return the reproach on their heads and give them plunder. Uh, give them up for plunder in the lamb of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity. so on and so forth. So ungodly like you would think. In the book of Psalms, there's a group of Psalms called the imprecatory Psalms. And the language in it is very harsh. And these are said by godly people. And what it is, it's a reaction to people who attack God and attack God's people. They have such a high view. You're not hurting me. You're not insulting me. You're insulting God. And you deserve this. And sometimes because of the way that we have developed as our believers, we've lost that idea of the, the awesomeness and the royalty of God. And we say nice prayers for people who oppose us. But we must sometimes understand that God is God. And when people go against God, they deserve not the best, but the worst. It's not up to us. It's not up to us. But we can do this and it's a reflection of how we see God and do are we going to sit still and let God be insulted. It's a vindication of God and God's people. It's not personal vengeance that is being called for here. So what was the result? Look at verse six. So. So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. They pressed on. They persevered. Did they let these critics, did they let these people mocking them stop them? No. They kept on going. They kept on going. And so much so that they had half the height of the wall done, and it was connected. That's progress, people. That was progress. So the believer's response to those who ridicule God's work and people is to turn the doubters and mockers over to God in prayer and then continue the work. So I hope that there's a lesson in this for you and for me, that when people do come and oppose us and mock us and things like that, we don't lose our cool. We pray to God, we turn them over, but we keep on going. The second tactic that's sometimes used by those who oppose is the use of conspiracy. Now, here the enemy seeks to intimidate with threats and, uh, of attack or taunts. And so we see this uh, in verses 7 through 9. Okay? We see this in verses 7 through 9. It says, Now, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdites heard that the repair of the walls in Jerusalem went on, and that the breaches began to be closed they were very angry it says in verse 8 and, and verse 7 all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it it says and then and uh, and that's what was taking place there that was the tactic god's people were surrounded the Samaritans were to the north, the Arabs to the south, the Ammonites to the east, and the Ashdodites on the west. Who were the Ashdodites? They were the remnants of the Philistines, the deadly enemies, mortal enemies of the Jewish people. So they were surrounded on all sides. And they want, all they wanted to do was keep the Jewish people weak and dependent upon them. Now, notice here. That they conspired, but their point was to cause a disturbance. Why? It wasn't an all-out war that they really wanted. Because don't forget, Nehemiah had the support of the king. <laughs> you mess with Nehemiah, you mess with the king of Xerxes, and he'll bring down the wrath of <laughs> the Medo-Persian empire upon you. So they had to be careful how they did this. But they nevertheless, they planned together, and they said, what we're going to do is we're just going to threaten them. We're going to taunt them. We're going to just keep on hassling them, if it were. And so this was the tactic that was being used. They made threats of war. They wanted to do anything possible to stop the work on the wall. Again, what was the response? Look at verse 9. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. Now notice here what he did in addition. He prayed. He prayed. That's what Christians do, right? When they encounter opposition. Is we pray. But not only did he pray this time, but he set up a guard. He posted guards around the clock. And this is a perfect balance of faith and works combined together. With prayer, one eye is on the Lord. And with the prudent preparations, the other eye is on the enemy. And so... Nehemiah wisely covered his bases. He wisely covered his bases. If you do one without the other, you'll lose. But Nehemiah shows us we need to do both. We not only need to trust in our Lord, but we also need to take prudent actions. And that's exactly what he did in this case. The believer's response to plots and schemes and threats from the enemy is to pray and to be prepared. Okay? Because I know sometimes I've talked with people in our church and I've talked to people in the Christian community and they're undergoing some difficult times. And I'll say, what have you done, brother? What are you doing now? So I don't repeat myself. And then they said, oh, I'm praying. I'm praying. Uh, And? (laughs) Uh, Oh, that's why I'm here talking to you. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? You see. And oftentimes when we face opposition and we face obstacles in our Christian life. There is more that we can do besides pray that we can do, all right? So it's a balance of these two together. What's the third tactic? The third tactic of the uh, opposition is found in verses 10 to 23. And we can't read all of it, but we'll read parts of it. And the enemy tried to demoralize and terrorize God's people, okay? And they do this through discouragement and fear, discouragement and fear. The threats began to intensify and began to exact a toll on God's people. The first part of the tactic was discouragement. And amazingly, this came from within and from without. Look at verse 10. Thus in Judah it was said, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall, he says in verse 10. Now, this these these comments were being made by members of the royal family, the tribe of Judah. Can you imagine that? I mean, <laughs> your own leaders, <laughs> the people you look to, the people you respected, what were they thinking? They said, can't do it. We can't finish this thing. We can't do this thing. And, and just negative, negative, negative. The enemy, and this is in verse 10. And then look at verse 11. The verse 11, it says, our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them to kill them and put a stop to the work. It says, so the enemies were constantly sending out this message. (laughs) You'll never know when, but we're coming for you and you'll be too late when you see us because we're going to take your life and we're going to end this thing. That was pretty substantial threat. And then verse 12 It says here, when the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. And so Jews that were living outside the city came to the the people in Jerusalem and said, I hear these reports. Had you heard the report? Have you heard the latest? And they kept saying, repeating, repeating, repeating. They're going to attack. They're going to attack. Well, This, of course, causes tremendous discouragement. This has caused tremendous discouragement. I heard this story once. It's a parable of sorts, okay? And the parable was this. Satan was holding a fire sale. He was holding, in America, we call him a garage sale, all right? I don't know what you call it here in this part of the world, but he's getting rid of stuff, okay? Satan's getting rid of stuff. So he opens up his tool shed and he invites all the demons to come in and take whatever they like and buy whatever they like. And so they go around and they buy, you know, uh, all kinds of things like lies and schemes and, you know, package deals, you know, how to demoralize Christians and sales are going really good. So one of the demons comes into the tool shed and he says to uh, to Satan and he says, what's that over there in the corner? It doesn't have a sales tag on it. And there was a tool there. And Satan says, um, that one's not for sale. That one's my favorite one. And, and the and demon really got, you know, excited about this one. He says, you know, if I could have the one that, you know, Satan really like," So he goes to Satan and he says, no, no, well, if you can't sell it to me, at least tell me what it is. And so Satan says, well, um, I really don't want to say too much about it. It's my favorite tool. And then so finally the demon was persistent. And, he, and Satan finally says, okay, okay, I'll take." It's called discouragement. It's called discouragement. You know, he says, it is priceless. For everything else, there's MasterCard, but this one's really priceless, okay? You see, discouragement is one of Satan's number one tools that he uses on God's people. If he can get you discouraged, you keep hearing negative stuff and you begin to believe it you will turn your attention away from what God wants you to do, you see? And so that's what, this, that's what all these three verses were about. The royal family was saying, we can't do it. The enemies were saying, we're going to get you at any moment. The people that were outside the city were saying, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? Oh, that's really got to wear you down, man. And so discouragement was the the, the, the element of the day. And what did it result in? Well, look at verse 14, the first part, when he says, When I saw their fear, Nehemiah says. Fear began to really penetrate and really come into the psyche of the people. Discouragement and fear are a powerful combination. Please don't underestimate their influence and impact because they can paralyze you. They can trap you. They can keep you from doing what God wants you to do. You're so afraid of what people will say. You are so afraid of what people will do. And you just stop everything that you're doing. In Proverbs chapter 29, Proverbs chapter 29, uh, look at verse 25. And it says there in verse 25 the fear of man. Uh, Is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. This is in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 in the New Living Translation. Okay? So please don't underestimate the impact of discouragement and fear. Be aware of it, but also know how to respond to it. Well, well, how did they respond to it? Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. This is how uh, Nehemiah uh, dealt with this. Okay? The first thing he did was in verse 13 was that he posted guards and armed the people. So he said, okay, if they're going to attack us, if they're going to come at us, they're going to pay a price. So arm the people, post the guards. And then in verse 14, he addresses the people. He addresses the people. Now, I'm always intrigued with Nehemiah because I always think, you know, if I just... Mimic Nehemiah. They just follow his example. I'll know what to say in front of people when the time is right. But when you read his speech, you say, is that all? <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't like listening to Winston Churchill. It wasn't listening to, you know, all these great uh, uh, Leader, world leaders who have these wonderful speeches to give. But his speech, his message to the people was quite simple. Look at verse 14. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. Wow, that's just one verse. It's <laughs> just one verse. So what did he say in that? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Turn your attention back unto the Lord. Remember who the Lord is and what he is doing through you. It is he who is in control, not the opposition. And so many times God's people have to be reminded of the simple message. Remember your great and awesome God. You see? On the bottom line, whenever I've faced personally or collectively with the churches that I've been with, whenever we have faced huge opposition and huge challenges, it boils down to coming back at the end of the day. How big is our God? How big is our God? And this is what Nehemiah was reminding them. And then, He turns around and he tells them to go out there and be ready to fight and defend. For who? Fight for your fellow brothers. Fight for your nation. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, your wives, and your houses. You know, if anything is going to motivate people to stand up and fight, it's got to be something close. And he says, if you're not going to fight for anything else, at least fight for your family. And fight for your very existence. And that's where, he, that's where he led it. Discouragement and fear are not invincible as they may first appear. They can be overcome with trust in the Lord. What was the result? Ah, look at verse 15. It says, uh, we won't read every verse in verse 15, but the people return to work. Look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. The enemy backed off. They were exposed for the charlatans that they were. They were just bags of hot air, as it were. And Nehemiah called their bluff. And so what happened was they backed off. And then the people returned to the work. And of course, there were um, the rest of the verses talk about more guard duty. It talks about more people armed. It talks about a, a, an alarm system that was set up. It talks about people, more people defending the city as they were encouraged to stay in the city at night to help protect it. And then more accountability by the leaders in verse 23. But God's people pressed on. When facing discouragement and fear, take steps to protect yourself. But most of all, trust in your Lord and complete the mission. Okay? Complete the mission. And so these are the things that, that shine to us. These are the things that come out to us. The, the mockery, the conspiracies, and the discouragement and fear that may come over us. But they can be defeated. At first, they look like a mountain you could never climb. They look like a wall you can never bust through. But you can, but you can through prayer and preparation. Now, what lessons can we learn? Very quickly, among the, the things, of the important role of prayer. prayer without, pray without ceasing in the face of any obstacle or op- opposition. Always start with prayer, endure it with prayer, and end with prayer. Remember the greatness and awesomeness of God. I'm often reminded of this quote. I I tried my best to try to find who said it, but maybe perhaps maybe God didn't want me to find out who said it because he wanted me to concentrate on what was said. But this quote, a day without prayer is a day without blessing and a life without prayer is a life without power. Okay, you understand that a day without prayer is a day without blessing and a life without prayer is a life without power. And that's what God wants us to be is to be people of prayer. Okay? So what is your prayer life like? What is your prayer life like? Oh, I don't know. Me and God aren't on talking terms. Why not? Why not? Is there some kind of sin between the two of you? Is some kind of apathy between you? You know what is it? Because when you're when you're going around without prayer, man, you're stripped. You're naked. You're vulnerable. Okay? You're vulnerable. So we need to be people of prayer and remember the importance of prayer. Another one is the role of perseverance. It's no accident that in verse 6 and in verse 15. In verse 6 it said, they had a mind to work. And then in verse 15, they returned to the wall, each one to his work. Okay? So after addressing the tactic, they returned to work. The mission will not be completed unless we keep working. Perseverance will allow us to complete the mission. Okay? Don't take a hiatus. Don't take a holiday. Don't take a break. <laughs> keep moving. Keep going. Keep progressing. Keep uh, keep uh, moving ahead. A third lesson, the role of preparation. Nehemiah prayed and then he took action. Okay? There's a intricate connection between prayer and preparation. You know, God has given the church fathers of of the faith to the church, and their early works are just so succinct, and they say things so well. One of the church fathers was St. Augustine. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you know who St. Augustine is? St. Augustine was very perceptive and a godly man, and this is what he said about the connection between prayer and preparation. He says, pray as though everything depended on God. Okay? Okay? Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. Wow. wow. That's unbelievable. But he had the balance. He had the balance on that. Okay? And I hope that whatever we face together individually or as a collectively as a church, that we will remember to pray as everything depended upon God. And work as if everything depended on us. And if we have that mentality, we will be able to overcome some of the things that have beset us for so long. For so long. Through the example of Nehemiah, we learn to deal with opposition with prayer, perseverance, and preparation. Now, there's a challenge hidden in here. There's a challenge hidden in here. So if you've been kind of dozing off through most of this message, I want you to wake up for this part, all right? And it goes this way. The challenge is, what mission has God called you or our church to do for him? Now, obviously, an immediate application would be this building program thing. We're still gathering information. You will have all the information, probably too much information that you need. But that's okay. But that's okay. But if God is calling us to do it, and the leadership believes that to be true, then this is what God is calling us to do. And then, what will you do when obstacles and opposition arise? So people start getting, and start, people start saying, <laughs> oh, you people at Grace, you know, you've talked about building, what, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever the case may be. Is this all just talk again. And then they go on and on and on and on. You can't do it. There's, 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 there's not enough of you. There's not enough of this. There's too much of that and so on and so forth. What are you going to do? What are we going to do? You see? No, take a page from Nehemiah. We'll pray and prepare. Maybe perhaps for some of us, it has nothing to do with buildings or anything else, but what mission for God do you need to recommit and refocus yourself to finish? You understand me? Do you hear what God's trying to say to you? What mission for God do you need to recommit and refocus yourself to finish? Perhaps, you know, a short time ago, perhaps a long time ago, God put it upon your heart to do something for him. And because of some discouragement, because of some fear, you backed off and you haven't returned to it since. And maybe what God is saying to you this morning, and he's saying to maybe many of us this morning, is he's saying to us, go back, finish the job, get it done. I am with you. You see? And so there's something here for everybody. There's something here for everybody. And I hope that, that and I know the Holy Spirit wants to do his part, and I hope we'll do our part by keeping the our heart and our ears open to what God is saying to us this morning. Doing what God wants you to do results in facing op- uh, obstacles and opposition. The obstacles and opposition may appear in our lives in many different forms and many different faces, but we can overcome them. You can overcome them through prayer, perseverance, and preparation. And can I end with this? Let me just end with this note. You... Let nothing, let nothing keep you from completing the mission from God for God. Okay? Let me repeat that. Let nothing keep you from completing the mission from God for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Living for you in this world is not easy. Sometimes you ask us to do things that are just way beyond our abilities, way beyond our, our capabilities, even our potentials. But Lord, you know us, and you don't make mistakes. And so, Lord, we pray today that you will speak to your people And, Father, that you will take your word this morning and revive us in ways, remind us in ways, recommit us in ways back to you. Let us not be fearful or discouraged. Please, O Lord, let us not fall prey to the other tactics that are used, the, the threats, the taunts, the ridicule. Let us be people stronger and better than that. Let us depend upon you. Father, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.